Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Real Life Faith Podcast, a podcast about living out our faith in the real world. I'm Pastor Brian, Senior Pastor of Burnt Woods Church in Glenwood, Maryland. And today we're going to pick up part two of a conversation we started last week with Justin Smith. Justin Smith is on staff with Priority One Foundation and is tasked with ministering to men who are struggling with pornography and sexual addiction and issues that face men and how they engage with their families and things like that. Last week, we started discussing the problem and just laying out some statistics and things like that. Um, You know, this is an issue in the church. Like I said last week, this is not someone else's issue. This is our issue. Pornography and sexual sin are running rampant in our churches. And so we talked about the problem last week. We're going to continue that discussion this week, but also start the discussion about how we move towards victory over this issue in our lives and in our churches. So here we go with part two, and I'll be back in a little bit to close us down. Hey, that's that's sort of built on, I think this builds on that, but also, um, you know, the idea, I think that that people struggling with sexual sin, sometimes it never comes out in the open um, because they feel like they can hide it so well. You know, like it's, it's an individual sin. People, I think, yeah. I think a lot of people view sexual sin, especially the issue of pornography, as this is my sin. Like I'm, I'm dealing with this. It's between me and the Lord. And you know, I um, there, or let me just present a scenario. Say somebody, there's somebody listening to this who has a problem with porn, and and they've just sort of convinced themselves that even though they know the behavior is sinful, they're convicted about the sinfulness of it. They've they kind of are feel like. The only person I'm really hurting here is me. Like, I'm I'm going to get this right, but I'm not hurting anybody else, at least even intentionally. I'm not trying to hurt anybody. I'm just dealing with my own sexual sin. Is it true that, um, that you know, somebody, a husband who's watching porn three nights a week, you know, after everybody's gone to bed, is he just hurting himself? Or like, so what's the larger impact of sexual addiction you know how does it how does it sort of start to um, bleed out and into the relationships around us and what it sure. what can it possibly lead to? Yeah, you think about like Matthew five twenty eight, um, which says, "Any man who looks upon a woman with lust has committed adultery with her mm-hmm. in his heart." So if we take that seriousness, if we take that serious. We would understand that when I'm viewing pornography, you'd have to be a fool to say there was no lust involved. And you're committing adultery with that woman. Right. It might not be the physical act of it, but in your heart, you've done that. So if you're a dad and you're 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 married and your your wife and kids are asleep and you're down doing some work and you start watching pornography, you're you're committing adultery in the Lord's eyes. Right. You're sinning against your wife. And I, I've worked with so many guys in so many marriages from guys who were in the back of police cars after busted in prostitution things mm. all the way down to guys that have been married 20 years and looked at pornography one time. The response from wives is that's unacceptable. Yeah. So whatever the consequence or whatever the, the, flavor of the sexual sin in God's eyes and in your spouse's eyes, you're, you're, 
you're not just sinning by yourself. Right. That's com- it's complete foolishness. Because if ultimately you're watching pornography, you're feeding into an entire sex trafficking ring that you're you're being part of. That most girls in those videos are drugged and and raped and so not not hurting anyone. You sitting in your basement doing that? Right. That's that's nonsense. Yeah. Absolutely. So, but the mindset it makes sense because the shame, the isolation, the the secrecy of it. Sin, sin feeds on that. It, mm-hmm. it grows there like a, like a Petri dish. And it's so important to break out of isolation. And yeah, I mean, we can talk about that and make sure I go back to, uh, be a Tom. We'll talk about being a Tom at church and reaching out to your brothers. Okay. Um, I'm writing myself a note. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I don't even remember what the original question just was. Just what the, um, you know, what are, what is, you know, this isn't just an issue that that's individual. So, you know, it it, right. lead, it affects other people in your life. It leads to to really dark things. You know, I, I, I found these two stats. I should have put some notes about where I found these stats because I hate quoting statistics that I don't have any basis for. But, um but I found this like one statistic that said pornography use increases the marital infidelity rate by more than three hundred percent. Like that's yeah, that's crazy. Fifty six percent of American divorces involve one party who has an obsessive interest in pornography. Um, so that doesn't mean that it's the only cause of the divorce, but it's you know it's it's right. a symptom. Um, also, you know. How about this talk about this? Not only does it have an effect on on a marriage, like it has a huge effect on a marriage, even if um, the only person who's aware of it is the person involved in the sin. I know that it can have an effect on the relationship, the sexual relationship between a husband and a wife, um, all sorts of things. But also, you know, the issue just in general, not not even amongst married people, but you know, porn. Uh, it's it. There's a plethora of studies about the way that porn desensitizes people, um, and you know, leads to escalating um, esca- escalation in sexual sin, where people yeah. people can't. You know, it's just like it's just like, and maybe you can address this. This would be maybe a really good thing to address. That um, you know, I have uh, a podcast coming up on addiction like drug addiction and yeah. um you know i think that people don't understand that there's there's a lot to be said about the relationship of like the heroin user and the porn addict because you know similar things are happening in your brain where you're dealing with dopamine and and then, Correct. um so just talk about that a little bit about you know what's going on in your brain when you're when you're dealing with uh, porn, and maybe that'll help us get to the next thing I want to talk about, which is the escalation in behavior, negative behaviors, and and things that can not only cost you your marriage, but could land you in prison, or you yep. know, I mean, all sorts of terrible things. So, what what's going on in your brain when you're? Yeah, the, you know, the, the brain is a huge one, um, and and praise God for science advances that we can understand something that. Paul from the book of Romans is talking about 2000 years ago when he tells us to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Uh-huh. So if you ever get a chance and to do the conqueror series, 
they'll do a couple of lessons on the brain. And they'll actually show some MRI scans and they'll show a healthy brain looks like a kind of looks like the top of a nice loaf of bread mm-hmm. that like just came out, like a couple little movements in it, but pretty smooth, kind of like a, a cue ball. And then you look at the brain of a heroin addict and it actually looks like Swiss cheese. Mm. And then you look at the brain of someone addicted to pornography and it looks identical to the heroin addict. Yeah. So to your point of addiction, sexual addiction, pornography, it's, it's the same thing as drug addiction. And you, what happens is as the brain desensitizes over repetitive drug use or repetitive pornography use, it's actually shutting down sections of the brain. It's actually reducing its ability to respond. Mm-hmm. And that's why you start to numb out. That's why you start to make decisions that in your prefrontal cortex, the CEO of your brain, mm-hmm. you're actually shutting it down. So you can't make as strong rational decisions. So what's called the limbic system inside of your, which is your fight or flight kind of impulse, like, ooh, that Snickers bar tasted good. I want more of that. Right. Ooh, I smashed my finger with a hammer. I don't want more of that. You know, those those type of good and bad emotions are triggered from a limbic system. So people will say, like, you've gone limbic in, like, the medical world. Mm -hmm. When those emotions overtake your CEO, the prefrontal cortex, and you can't make good decisions anymore. And the limbic system is wired and gets jacked up, usually because of a lot of trauma and wounds and repetitive exposure, like in pornography. Mm-hmm. So the the studies we've done on the brain are extreme, and they're incredible for this material here, for addiction. But the cool thing is, I, I would say, I know my brain looked like Swiss cheese years ago. Right. I know it. And I, I, I really wish I had had an MRI like of my brain like seven years ago and I could get an MRI of my brain today mm. because I know the redemptive power of Jesus Christ and the word of God has renewed my mind to that loaf of bread. Yeah. And that is the power of the king that we serve. And he can take a jacked up Swiss cheese brain like mine that was addicted and make me the new creation he's called me to, and he will restore me. Yep. So the brain, as you go through a Conqueror series, or um, so there's a lot of material out there, it, it is fascinating to learn how addiction is present in this. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. a. I mean, it's such a such an important part of this whole discussion because the, um, you know, the issue of being desensitized to sin and escalating, uh, man, it's such a, I I read this article this morning from a guy, I think his name is Michael Sheath. I mean, I know that's his name, but I think I'm pronouncing it right. I think he's, um, in England, he's a, um, uh, psychologist. He deals primarily with, um, people who have been involved in molesting children. Like that's been his history. That's his specialty. And he was noting that the um like thirty years ago, twenty years ago, a couple decades ago, the people that he was seeing, um, as they were sort of digging for root causes, they were finding that like 
these people had traumatic things in their life, traumatic abuse in their own life. Like there was just really horrible things that they'd been through. And there was like these common factors that led them to then have distorted views of sex and, and, um, and all these things. And, and that, so that was a pattern, but he's saying what he's saying now is, Hey, everybody needs to take note that the people he's counseling with now are men and women who were learned about sex as a teenager. They weren't abused. They weren't molested or raped or, but they were learning about sex by watching pornography, which, most of it has violent elements and, you know, distorted, awful, like um, incest, like porn, like the incest genre of porn is like one of the most popular genres of porn now. And so there's like this desensitizing to things that decades ago we would have said, like, these are the darkest places in humanity, like that you just don't see these things unless it's an awful, awful twisted part of humanity. But now it's becoming something that people are exposing themselves to when they're 14, 15, 16 and their views of sexuality and what excites them and what they see as normal have completely changed. And so he's now counseling with men who've been convicted of sex crimes and who've gotten out and been released and they're in his program who are guys who are like normal professional men who just their view of sex and sexuality was so warped because of pornography that it led them down these awful paths. And he's saying like, we need to take note as, as like as a community, like a global community that this is happening. Like this is right under our noses. Our and entire generations are being changed now in their view of what's acceptable sexually and what's acceptable to do to another person and, you know, all these things. So it's just, um, you know, this idea of, of escalation, desensitization, all these things are really important for us to talk about because it's not just you, you know, in your room alone doing something you shouldn't do. There are like really awful things happening in your brain and that could, this can lead you to really awful places uh, down the road as well. Yeah. I mean, think about, even what I've shared in my story where shouldn't the swimsuit issue of sports illustrated back in the nineties have been enough. Right. But at some point that wasn't enough. There was no nudity in that. And then the nudity turns to, Oh, I want to see a video and then it gets more graphic and graphic. And you're exactly right. As your brain gets destroyed, you're seeing the desensitization desensitization yeah something like that of the brain just like a drug addict where you know i'm not i don't really know drug measurements but like one ounce of this now i need two or now i need three like right the same thing occurs and the statistics on violence and sexual sin and pornography you know they've done studies on guys that are in jail and it it's it's an it's extreme connection between it all. Yeah. So it's no no joke that Satan is using this tool to desensitize us and you know destroy us really. Yeah. Absolutely. So I just want people who are listening to to really understand that if if you're addicted to pornography, if you're 
if this is part of your life, don't don't think it's not more dangerous than just like being found out and being embarrassed or you know ruining your relationship with your spouse or like this is a serious serious thing that can lead to really dark places. We need to take it seriously. Um, hey, what is that sort of sort? We've been talking about a lot of the. Uh, the dark side of this thing. Let's try to talk. Let's try to turn the direction of this and talk about how do we, how do we start to come out of this thing in a healthy way? Like how does somebody yeah. start to get help? And, but the first thing I want to even before we get to that though, like just sort of as a transitional point, I'd like, I want your opinion, um, you know, on what is the biggest barrier to us dealing honestly with sexual sin in the church? I think for me, I'll just give you my quick, my quick thought on this, I think that it's two things. One is, and they're both related, they're intricately related, but shame, number one, is shame because it's, you know, nobody wants to admit it. Um, they don't want to, they just feel, they feel dirty because of it and they don't want to admit it. So it's shame. Right. And then the other is judgment. Um, you know, like there's, there's, so much judgment or they, or maybe they just feel like there's going to be judgment. I think that there is judgment many times, but also there's a lot of perception that if I get honest about this, or if I tell my, like imagine a guy who's in a small group with other guys and he desperately wants to tell these guys, he desperately wants like to be accountable and come out of this, but he's thinking like, man, these guys are going to judge me if I say this. So I think that's just the biggest barrier. People are afraid. They don't want to, they don't want to bring it out in the light. So I don't know. I mean, you're probably more informed on this because you're dealing with, with guys who are, who are being honest about it. So tell me, what do you think is the biggest barrier to us dealing honestly with sexual sin in the church? Yeah, I think you nailed one of them in shame. I think the shame of my sin, how disgusting I you know, quote unquote am. I think it, it is a big roadblock for people to begin to, bring their sin to light. And I think there is a lot of judgment in the church. And if I'm being honest, the church needs to repent. Yeah. Because how dare we sit here and cast a stone because someone is wanting to admit their sin against God, but they're stuck in judgment, self-righteousness, you know, fill in the blank. You're just as guilty and you need the blood of Christ just as much. Yeah, absolutely. So the, the third one I, would say is isolation. I think we're seeing it even grow in our culture in the past 11 months. Like we have to not isolate. And this is where I think not pastors, but I think the lay men in the church, deacons, elders, if I'm being blunt, they need to step their game up. Mm -hmm. Like you need to reach out to the men in your church. You need to have, I mean, every man should have multiple men they're in contact with every week, whether it's for five minutes on a ride home, just to touch base and not be isolated on this topic. And even just, hey, how you doing? Because, I mean, people are, the world's gone crazy in the last 11 months. So, yeah. So back to my one note about being a Tom. Yeah. Um, There's a really good book called Clean by Dr. Doug Wise. And um, I get major royalties for promoting this, so this is good. <laughs> um, it's a really good book, and he has a chapter in there about a guy named Tom. And I think this is powerful for whoever's listening that 
as a follower of Jesus Christ and a, a church leader, maybe not by title of elder or deacon, but a leader, is we can sit there and talk on Sunday about how in the world Tom Brady's won seven Super Bowls and how bad the Orioles are going to be this year. Like, yeah, that that stuff's nonsense. Talk to a brother and look him in the eye, shake his hand, and while you're holding his hand, be like, "Hey, man, when was the last time you looked at pornography or masturbated?" Yeah, wow. <laughs> like, be be that man that calls a brother. He might look at you like you're a weirdo and let go of me. But you might actually realize that when you create a culture like that, you begin to help a brother walk out of that isolation and you just broke that shame. Yeah. Because now he goes, that guy just said masturbation at church. Right. That's like unheard of. Right. And it's like, well, he's helping me break out of isolation and sexual sin right there. And that that's what we need the church to be prepared to do is engage it like a serious topic that it is. Right. Yeah. Be honest about it. You know, I think there's sure. um I had this this uh these couple of verses of scripture that I think are are so important that I have sitting right here in front of me for this discussion where in first Corinthians six, nine through eleven, Paul says, um do, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And then he gives this list, like I'm sure you're familiar with this passage, but he says, uh, do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that's tr- that's true. Like he's talking about people who like the habit of their life, the pattern of their life is to just be involved in all sorts of sexual immoral behavior, all sorts of other other behavior that's listed there. And he's just saying, like, if, if you just sin, you don't care, that's that's your life, then don't assume that you're a child of God. I, but I feel like we misuse that passage and we, like, we we shame each other with, with, like, hey, if you're involved, if you're sexually immoral, then something's wrong with you and you're outside of the community and we get that perception we forget that what he said next is uh, after that list, he says, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of God. And the idea is like, we, we all are sinners. Like this stuff is a reality in our lives, not somebody else's life. Right. And the only thing that the only hope we have is the grace of God, the, the, cleansing power of the Holy Spirit and our faith in Jesus Christ, God's work in our life can bring us out of that. But let's stop talking like, you know, those people, those sexually immoral people, those greedy people, those revilers, like, let's start talking about the fact that God can redeem us in this. And if you've got, if you're struggling in sin, as a Christian, if my brother's struggling, I'm supposed to be there to pick that person up, you know, to right. to help that person, not to look at that person and say, shame on you for what you've done. I mean, I'm, I preach the Bible. I talk honestly about sin. I feel like that that's, we're not doing each, each other any favors by saying like, oh, don't worry about it. Jesus will make you better. It's not that big of a deal. Like you brought it up earlier. We're sinning against a holy God. Like any sin against the standard of the holiness of God is enough 
to send a person to hell. I mean, this is a big deal. Right. So, so it's not like we minimize the sin, but that's just, that's operate with some grace here and to try to help each other here instead of, let's just be honest about it. We struggle with sin. We are sinners. All of us are sinners. My sin may yeah. not be your sin, and your sin may not be my sin, but all of our sin is equally offensive to God. And so yeah. let's just get honest about it and stop hiding. Yeah, it. I think the the American church, which has its major flaws, you know, I, I'm in my 30s, you're in your 40s, you know, like my dad and his buddies are in their 60s. And if we track it back, we can actually see generations of isolation and quietness and that, that grew kind of post-World War II. Mm-hmm. And what that's produced is how many guys, when, you know, my age or your age growing up, their dad pulled them aside and, son, here's some of the sexual mistakes I made. Right. There was a girl I was dating and we wound up, you know, getting involved. And you, those conversations didn't happen. It was all hush, hush. Yep. And when I went into ministry, I remember my wife and I talking like, cause she's gone into it with me because mm-hmm. she's on the phone with a lot of wives, the guys that I'm helping that, you know, she'll go out and have breakfast and lunch with these women that are angry and, you know, processing it. But when we started this, I was like, babe, are you okay that like, I might get a label of like, there's Justin, the porn guy. Right. You know, and she is, my wife's the bomb. And she's like, yeah, because God's redeemed you out of that. Exactly. And that's the point of the gospel is it doesn't matter what flavor ice cream of sin you're in. Don't boast in it, but be willing to share. Hey, here's who I was. I'm now a new creation in Christ Jesus, but my, my pastor of the church I go to, he, he does a wonderful job. He lived a very, you know, flavor filled sin life before Christ mm-hmm. and he'll share it. He doesn't highlight it. He doesn't hide it. And then when his kids get old enough and it is appropriate, he will share his story with them. Right. Right. And here's who I used to be. And it's ugly. And let me tell you about what Jesus did, because the goal is that people would see the gospel and believe upon Christ. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. That's good, man. And you're right about the, uh, um, you know, our, our dads, like, I know your dad, your dad's a great man. I love your dad. And, uh, yeah, me too. And I, um, uh, I love my dad. My dad is 60. I'm trying to do the math in my head. I don't know. He's, he's getting close to 70, I guess. Um, but my dad was a wonderful, is a wonderful Christian man. He's a pastor. I grew up watching him preach the Bible faithfully, lead people to Christ. Just a wonderful example of a man who never had a single conversation with me one time about sex ever, right? ever. <laughs> like I just literally had to figure that part of my life out. Like it just, and not only him, but I can only remember one time ever in, uh, in church. And I went to church, you know, my whole life. I was there every Sunday. I went to youth group. I went to, 
you know, middle school youth group, high school youth group, all that. I can only ever remember one time when the subject was even brought up. Like, right. it just was, it's like, I don't know. So, I mean, hopefully we can reverse that trend and start to talk more honestly about this. Maybe it takes like us all realizing that we are in an absolute crisis with our kids and with our, right. you know, culturally, we've got to talk about this. We got to deal with it. So you look at, um, look at King David yeah. and, uh, He's a man after God's own heart. Mm-hmm. He is a highlighted character of the Bible that God uses in immense ways. Yep. We all know about his, his falling with Bathsheba and the consequence you know, of everything there. If there is a big area in which David did not do a good job at, I would say it was parenting. Yeah, right. There is a lot of dysfunction in his family. And I think a lot of, you know, we could look back and I'm sure you could poke things at your dad. I could poke things at my dad. But if we actually take it a step further where, you know, David's sons could sit there and poke at him, but take it a step further to how David interacted with his dad, Jesse, yeah, who, when Samuel came to anoint the next king, goes goes through his first uh, seven brothers, I yep. think. Yep. And then the prophet asked a stupid question, right? Do you have any other sons? Yeah. Like, and then he, yeah, they say he has a hakaton, which translates worthless one. Yeah. So David is living. So he comes and, you know, Samuel anoints him and he's living in this. His father thought he was worthless and he's got this wound. And I'm actually segueing into one of the points that I wanted to hit on. Yeah. If that's okay. Sure. But the thing that's driving most addiction is woundedness mm-hmm. is I am. And this is why the church is not talking about this and helping people unpack this. And we see it from fathers a lot and not to say moms aren't off the hook. Cause I'm sure if we all unpack mom has done some things that hurt us, but like it's so important for dads to be present, to be investing in their children is you see it through a David, you see it, the destruction of dad not being there that can really hurt. And there's a lot of dads that are physically there, yeah. but investing and being open. And we've seen that in the post-World War II, you know, like I look at my dad, my grandpa, like, man, did, did my grandpa ever tell my dad he loved him? You know, that kind of right, right. hard no nonsense type. And it's like, man, I wonder how that made my dad feel like, so the woundedness is, is very important for us to unpack in getting out of sexual addiction. So yeah, I got more on that. If, if we got time. Yeah. 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 I got time. I got time. As long as the batteries in this thing hold up, I got time. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we can always change the batteries, but the, uh, Hey, let me ask you this. Like just, you know, as we start talking about how does somebody start to move towards victory over this, like what's the first step in uh, in somebody, like the first practical step? I mean, I know I'm going to go ahead and make an assumption, and maybe it's a big assumption, but I'm going to assume that, you know, as us as Christians, that the, the first step that somebody's going to take is actually, you know, they've been convicted of this sin in in a way that has led them to repentance. Like we talked about that in your own testimony, like 
you know, this, that you realize the gravity of your sin against God. That's the first step, I think, without a doubt. Like, no real victory is going to come until we cross that bridge. But um, practically speaking, like, what does a guy do? Like, he's been, he's hit rock bottom. He's realized the gravity of his sin. Maybe he's, he's in a crisis in his marriage now. What does he do? Like, what, what yeah. what's the next thing to do? And, and you know, we're talking again. I just want to so, sort of say, I keep, we, we both keep saying like the guys, 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 like we're talking yeah. with everybody here. Like, what does a person do? What's the first step in, in, you know, coming out of this, having some real victory? Um, you know, you're forgiven. You, you've repented. You're confident about that. Now, how do I make sure that I don't fall back in? Yeah. I, I think you could almost run that down to two roads. There's the, the person who's repented and they're looking for accountability and to not go back. I, I think there's a higher percentage of people out there that the shame is so high and they probably haven't actually hit a spot of repentance. Right. They're stuck in, like we see in Hebrews 12 with Esau, who has worldly sorrow that he gave his birthright away for a bowl of beans. Right. Yeah. He's not repentive. He's like, dang it, this stinks. Like, that's where I think a lot of people are at. My life sucks. I can't get over this addiction. My marriage is falling apart. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think it's for the church to be transparent, to have material like a Conqueror series or a Pure Desire that people, as the Spirit of God is stirring them, they go, you know, I, I saw I saw Jimmy up there on Sunday. He used the word pornography and masturbation in front of the whole church, and he wasn't ashamed to share his story. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what? That guy that's struggling, the Holy Spirit's going to work in him, and he knows that, hey, I can grab this little bulletin insert or whatever it is, and I can shoot Jimmy a text or give him a call, and I can begin that process. Right. I think it's really big for the church to be able to facilitate an open spot of transparency for guys to, to come out mm-hmm. from there. I think you'll start walking down the process and if it's done correctly, you'll help them understand what's going on inside their brain with addiction, help them understand, start to unpack some of the reasons why, like when it comes to woundedness, that's what drives us. Like, why was I so addicted to sexual sin? Well, it wasn't because, you know, women are that beautiful or I had that much hormones. It was because every time I felt insecure, every time I felt worthless, every time I felt like a failure, you know what? Pornography was always there in the past and it'll make my pain go away and I won't feel like a failure. Right. I won't feel like a loser. And it's, it's an addictive, bad cycle, but just like a drug addict, you go to it because it makes you feel good because the world and the wounds inside of you are telling you, you suck. Yeah. So unpacking those wounds, the whole process to get out of sexual bondage usually takes most guys two to five years. Wow. So, I mean, you might have some guys that are, are young and, you know, they just got a little pornography, but especially guys into their twenties and thirties and beyond, They've got a lot of rejection. They got a lot of pains. They got a lot of stuff that they've stuffed, you know, 
Yeah. I had a relationship through college that I didn't unpack it until I was 10 years after it. Right. The pain and the things that happened and, and that's most men. They just stuff stuff until about their thirties when they start having kids and everything just becomes too much. So yeah, I think for the church being open, being transparent, creating a community that a guy could reach out, a woman could reach out that's struggling because her husband's addicted or struggling because she's addicted. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, repentance, the brain and wounds are kind of the three topics to tackle and guys got to get accountable. Like I was saying earlier, you can't, you know, you're, you'd be foolish, you know, especially if it's, if you've ever gone down this path at all, you should have something holding you accountable. Yeah. Yeah. I want to talk about that, about the importance of being accountable. Um, because I, I feel like that it's such, such an important thing and such, such an easy thing in a sense, like, um, you know, like I think about for me, um, like you mentioned earlier, like if you're, if you're serious about your relationship with God, if you're a man of God, like there's no reason there shouldn't be, uh, filters or accountability software installed on your devices. Like I can't tell you how many times, like I've been doing research or I've talked to somebody, um, who's struggling with this, like they've come to me and I've talked to them about accountability, suggested like certain things like account, different accountability softwares or things like that. And then thought to myself, like, why am I not doing it myself? Like, it's so easy and it's such a good way to protect yourself and to like, I mean, it's just not a difficult thing to do. Like, so, I mean, what's, Tell me, like, what do you think about the the role of accountability, not just for somebody who's addicted, but just in general for us, like as a protective measure, but, and how does that work? Like practically, is it, um, I mean, do you like, you talk about talking to guys regularly, like having some guys in your life, you just check in on, but also there's gotta be also some like real protective measures there where I, I want to build as many walls around this as I can that keep me from slipping. So just tell, tell what do you think about the role of accountability in all this? Yeah. Now I'm, there's a, there's a story I learned. Just picture this with me. You're uh you're a truck driver driving up this big, huge mountain and there's a cliff and the truck drivers would get to the truck stop and they would all boast about how close they could get to the edge of the mountain. Mm-hmm. And one truck driver would be like, I can get within a wheel's length of this the cliff the other guy one ups him goes i can get it to where my wheels almost touching it and the third guy goes i can get it where my wheels are half off the cliff and then the fourth guy goes i'm nowhere near that Mm -hmm. we want to be that fourth guy right we want to be so far away it's man i was one click away from pornography yeah well well you're a fool like don't even be anywhere near it. So when it comes to software accountability, that's what that helps you do. When your wife's gone and you're at home that night and, you know, a a sidebar advertisement on a news site or whatever pops up something suggestive. And then you get a thought of, Oh, I should look this up at that weak moment at 11 o'clock at night 
when you haven't been in the word of God for four days, you and your wife had a fight, your kids are exhausting you. That moment goes, wait a minute. If I type that in, I'm going to have a lot of questions. Right. And that's where it helps. And if you're someone that struggled with sexual sin, it's just an absolute no brainer. Um, the program I use is called accountable to you Mm -hmm. and it does not block anything. So you could type something in and see it, right? but it records everything. So it creates a internal self-control and you customize it. So I I've customized it where I'll be honest, I have Google and search engines flagged. So when I look up truck tires my accountability partners get a flag that says Google, but then they see it says truck tires. Right. And they walk with me because I want to be transparent and held to a high standard. And that that is a, a must for anybody coming out of this, even for any just man. Another one is Covenant Eyes. And Covenant Eyes, you can block and you can – it does screen monitoring. So – for a guy really struggling, I would probably guide him to that for at least a season. Yeah. And um, just help him break out of the pattern. Kind of like if you're coming out of being an alcoholic, you, you really got to get the alcohol out of the house first. Right. That kind of mindset. Yep. And then accountability calls. The groups that I lead, all of them teach to make three calls a week. So what that's producing is at least every 48, 72 hours, you're touching base with someone. It's probably for five minutes. Right. And, hey, how are you doing? How are you doing in your recovery? How, any temptation, anything you need to, you know, let's pray. Like, that's it. And what it does is it breaks that isolation. Yeah. You've already broken the shame because you're sharing your stuff. And now you're walking to freedom. So accountability is crucial. And every man needs to be a part of it. Honestly, every woman, mm-hmm. because the stuff women are going through, especially moms trying to homeschool their kids, potentially work, take care of a house. It, it's a lot. And they need, they need accountability to walk with the Lord too. Right. Right. I think it's just, you know, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, you know, is in the beginning in the book of Genesis, the very first negative statement in the Bible is that it's not good for the man to be alone. And, uh, you know, that's just, and that's not, I've always told my church, you know, that's not just about Adam being alone. That's about us. Like we are not created to be isolated and, uh, leads to bad things. So I think that's a good word, man. That's a, just about accountability. And, um, you know, I I tell you what I'm going to do. We might pick this up again. Um, I'm, I'm going to. I'm going to end this right here because I think it's just a good spot to end it. All right, there we go. We're going to end right there. And uh, thank you, Justin, for joining me for that interview. It was a good time talking to Justin about a serious issue that really is all around us. And I want to say to you, if you're listening and you're struggling with the issue of pornography or sexual addiction and you need some help uh, coming out of that, trying to gain some victory over that, I'd love for you to get in touch with me or... Uh, I can put you in touch with Justin as well. I'm sure he'd be willing to help you with resources and with uh, just pointing you in the right direction or just chatting with you about how to start the process of gaining some victory over this in your life. 
So feel free to get in touch with me, Pastor Brian, here at Burntwoods Church in Glenwood, Maryland. Our website is burntwoods.church, and you can go there and get all the contact information for me. Um, You're welcome to reach out directly to me. I'm happy to talk to you. If you're looking for a church home, uh, we'd love to have you. If you want to come out and worship this weekend, we are open and uh, coronavirus is not keeping us from gathering. So come on out and, and worship with us this weekend at 1045. Again, all the information is on our website, burntwoods.church. I hope to see you on Sunday. God bless you. Have a great week.